Hello, Diana. Hello, Lisa. This is a special episode of Should We? And we are recording it the night before the inauguration to be published on the morning of the inauguration. We are in a padded room, which I feel like is a great place in which to hold our vigil. Yes, it feels safe. Yeah, it's a nice cave. It's, it's a recording studio. Yeah, but a cave-like one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we felt like it was really important to do an episode now. Um, and there's a lot to say. And I wanted to start with a poem. How do you feel about that? I mean, yes. Okay. Should we start with a poem? Uh, this poem is Caged Bird by Maya Angelou. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. Hmm. A fearful trill. That sounds like (laughs) what I want to let out right now. I know, I know, and... Uh, as I was searching for the right poem to uh, for tonight, I I found this one and and one more that I'll share later. But I think that I I wanted to be very thoughtful and sensitive about what uh, what I wanted to read and then what I wanted what meaning I wanted to make of it. And I think what this poem. Uh, described for me is not necessarily how I feel as as if I'm in a cage I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to go so far as to say that um, it just put to words um, I think uh, the longed for freedom mm-hmm. that I I think so many people are still waiting for in America, in, in a place that should be built on the idea of freedom. Right. And in the first episode of this season, I mean, this season has been bookended by the election and 
the inauguration. And I remember being in this very room right after the election saying, you know, I felt so foolish and I still feel foolish because the, the longing for freedom is a reality and has been continuously, but I'm tuning in to that wavelength in a way that really terrifies me. It terrifies me to hear those wavelengths and to know that they always existed and to know that to really feel how much work there is left to do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I grew up having exposure to different uh, ways in which my family members weren't really free. Um, uh, I'm thinking about people who are literally behind bars unjustly. Uh, that that's in that case, I'm thinking of my cousin, a mm -hmm. nonviolent drug offender. I'm thinking about women who are not really free because they're oppressed at home or because of domestic violence or um, sexual assault. In that case, I'm thinking of most of the female members of my extended family. Um, I'm thinking about people who aren't really free because of racial discrimination. In that case, I'm thinking of my dad and other family members. And uh, I think for uh, the, the thing that personally I identify with most and that, that comes up every time I see images or words or stories about our president-elect is the sense of not really being free to fulfill my full potential because of, uh, because of glass ceilings, mm -hmm. because of the patriarchy and how it filters down in ways that feel like a thousand paper cuts, you know? And, and uh, I see something being played out on the national government stage that I witness in small ways all the time, every single day of my life. Mm -hmm. The idea that um, an, uh, a terrible, unqualified, um, aggressive man, could, hateful. hateful man, uh, could be chosen for a position and um, an extremely well-qualified woman um, could be pushed aside. Um, you know, I, I think we see that happen all the time. I was picturing like a UV light that exposes all of the gross blotches that were always there. And I feel like I just live under a UV light now, and I see the blotches everywhere. Yeah, I can't not see it. Um, and I recently I was reading this book by Rebecca Solnit called Men Explain Things to Me. <laughs> it's a really short book. It's basically an essay with a, a few other pieces. Um, everyone should read it. It's brilliant. It's so smart, and it finally helped 
me make the connection between all these things that I'm mad about. I'm so angry about something like a turn of phrase that is unequal. Mm-hmm. Even like uh, someone in a professional setting is uh, describing a scenario about a generic person and they choose he. They mm-hmm. don't say he or she. They, they say he. He mm-hmm. being the default. I get so angry about little things like that. I got into an argument once with um, an engineer, and I'm like not a person to get into arguments. Right. At work, particularly. I just hate confrontation. But there was this one situation where I really stood my ground a couple of years ago to say, no, you have to change that comment in the code that no one else can see except employees where you describe the user as he. You can describe the user as the user. You can choose all kinds of other words, but it has to be gender neutral. It has to be inclusive of a whole spectrum of people who are using this product. And the, the person across from me felt like, you know, this is crazy. I'm not going to waste my time on something. No one can see this mm-hmm. except the people who are building the product. And I was like, that is exactly the point. Mm-hmm. The people who are building the product need to see the world differently every day, even down to the smallest line of code, even down to the smallest interactions with their colleagues, no matter what gender they are, even if it's if it's uh, someone who's privilege talking to someone who's privileged they should use gender neutral mm-hmm. language you know and um so anyways this this essay and book helped me trace the connection between that and the um you know uh sexual violence and th- things that to to realize that these things are on a spectrum of oppressing people who are not in the majority or uh, leaving them out or just, it's like breadcrumbs, you know, to just remind you the, the world, whatever it, world you're operating in, it's not, it wasn't built for you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't built with you in mind. Yeah, you don't belong. You don't belong. You don't belong. Yeah. I loved that book, too. And as you spoke about your experience at work, I was remembering a few weeks ago, a colleague was leaving a meeting that we were both in. I was picking up my stuff and he, on his way out, he was like, thanks, guys. And then he was like, it was just a few people left in the room. So he turned to me and he said, is that okay?" Uh, And I was like, no. (laughs) He was like, wow, thank you. And I was so grateful he'd asked I had made a choice not to fall on that sword in the context I'm in because I felt like I understood the intent and I I trusted it I think that paper cuts hurt a lot more when they're indicative of something deeper and I just didn't feel that and so I decided to let it go until he asked and then it was really clear to me that the answer was no and so you know, I had the luxury of deciding that I was safe anyway, and deriving that from context clues and being safe because I work with incredible, respectful people. 
Um, but the the paper cuts still cut like I still notice every time and noticing continuously is hard enough when it's subtle and in this world now where for the past few months it's just been an avalanche you know I I just I see headlines roll past and I can't believe my eyes and I don't want to disengage and retreat into some inner safer place like I I want to stand up the question for this episode is should we stand up I want to stand up to oppression I want to stand up for what I believe in and I do but how do you do that how do I do that when can I live in the world we're in now and still be non-confrontational you know <laughs> I I don't think we can anymore I don't think I don't think I can avoid conflict the way I have up to now you know but I think we can still be nice mm-hmm. which was a great conversation with Aaron McKean earlier in this season I think being armed with that knowledge that we can still be nice and uh, confront injustice however small and confront large ones too uh in public and in private and we can be nice and then also we can stop being nice if if it gets to the point where that doesn't make sense anymore yeah something i've been doing when i meet for dinner or coffee with someone that I trust but maybe don't know that well is when they ask how I'm doing, I'll give a brief recap of my uh, my day-to-day life. And then I'll say, but I'm really angry and sad about the election still. And in more than one case, that's opened up a really deep, honest conversation, like really vibrant and real about what we each care about and opening those floodgates has been cathartic. It's been cathartic to just start testing my surroundings and saying, of course, I can't assume that everyone sees everything the way I do. That wouldn't be fair. But I can always say what's true for me. And it's on other people to receive that respectfully or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it the downside of me saying I'm angry and sad right now and I really don't think things turned out the way they should have is what? Like, they disagree with me? They feel like I overstepped? Like, no, I think that as long as I anchor it in what's true for me, it's important to speak up and it's important to stand up because if that can open a conversation or an awareness or just remind us that it's not going away that matters Mm -hmm. and I as you were saying that I remembered I I read something somewhere where uh, someone was describing the the shift in the way they communicate and the type of um, art they were making I think and um, she said uh now is the time to be straightforward. Mm -hmm. And I realized when I read that, that I tend to really love metaphor and 
things that are really subtle. And I think that we approached season two with a lot of subtlety, with the quiet agenda of surfacing voices that we don't hear enough of um, in our in our day to day. And then the election happened after we had recorded most of the season. And it was like, wait a second. Why didn't we say all along what we were doing? That it, we had a, an agenda that our, our choices were purposeful. And um, I don't know. Like, I wonder why we were kind of hiding it like that. Not hiding, but... It felt kind of cheeky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of the words playful and coy, and I think that it was avoidance packaged as cheekiness in a way that felt subversive but was actually evasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as my sister would say, no more play play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not fun anymore. No. Um, uh, just playing with the threads we're trying to surface. A big one from this season was about um, elevating the stories of women who lead in different ways. And uh, I think that, wow, now looking back on on what we were doing um, with the new lens of post-election, I'm like, wow, we could have just, we could have yeah. really said it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I feel now that I really want to be a lot more direct. I think it's Im- so important right now to say what we really mean. Yeah, I agree. And to say it to people who won't agree, and that's something that Imagine con- the imagined confrontation of like just standing up for what I believe in and saying it out loud in a straightforward, plain, direct way. Usually that goes fine. There aren't repercussions. It's just a little scary because I'm not so used to it. But actually talking with someone who really doesn't agree with me that is still not something that I've sought out and I don't know how I would handle it, but I have to. So I think this also points to something that both of us have done up to now, which is, I mean, we're so careful with the way we communicate and with, for the most part, trying to keep our, our communications with people um, positive and maybe like palatable Mm -hmm. in some way and I I really care about not um, offending people and making space for other people's perspectives but I I think sometimes to a fault uh, where I I forget to also offer my (laughs) own yeah you know like oh but you haven't spoken yet like what do you have to say and like okay I guess we've heard from everyone you know but except me Right. It's, it's risky to then say, okay, I, I really have an opinion, too. 
And that instinct to watch out for others and make room for others is part of our ethic of inclusivity, right? But, uh, you know, there are other people to include. <laughs> and like creating space for the people who aren't even in the room to not speak. All kinds of rooms. That's going to take more forward action and more more just more uh do you have any things in mind that you want to say that you haven't really been saying Mm. after the election i was so afraid and i still am and i sat down and i thought about you know five or six specific things I was afraid of, like freedom of the press going away and trans rights and uh, Planned Parenthood. And I set up recurring donations and that was necessary. I mean, I'm not even going to say it was good. It was just like necessary. Um, But something that I've been speaking out about more recently is trans rights. I think that justice for trans people is something that uh, not everyone like has in their circle of awareness, even if they philosophically agree, like it's not something that they think actively about. And, you know, it was really important to me that Chelsea Manning's sentence got commuted, you know, like I, I, was uh, hoping for that and didn't do enough on it, but thought a lot about it and was so relieved when I saw it come through, uh, saw the commutation come through. And so that's something that it's just really obvious to me, but now that I'm more attuned to it not being obvious to everyone, it's important for me to keep that drumbeat going. How about you? Well, I think um, the thing that I want to talk about more and more directly is very much relating to my everyday, to my everyday work. And um, I just really want to say that I'm tired of being the only woman in the room Mm -hmm. when important decisions are being made. And... I mean, that's been the case my my whole career. I mean, uh, in that either uh, most people who weren't white men were excluded and I was I was just wasn't in the room um, when important decisions were made. I really didn't have a say at first and neither did anyone else who wasn't a white man, honestly. And then, um, you know, as time has gone on, I've, I've been really uh, proud and grateful to find a seat at the table um, in important discussions at work. And sometimes I feel, I have felt in the past that part of keeping that seat at the table was about like behaving myself mm. 
and keeping quiet about what I saw, which was that I'm the only one who looks like <laughs> me at all remotely. But, you know, it gets old. And I don't know how many times I've been in a room with like, like there are so many white men who look so much the same. I can't even keep all their <laughs> names straight. Like it's horrible, but like everybody knows who I am, you know, and that is uncomfortable. And, but just because it's uncomfortable is not why I'm bringing this up. It's because, you know, there are many arguments we hear in um, casual conversation, but also in um, articles and all, all over the place in the ether of technology in particular. But I think this applies to many industries um, where people will say like, oh, well, you know, okay, well, maybe we'll even acknowledge there's only one woman in the room. <laughs> there, this, this room is very unequal, very unbalanced. But you know what? There just aren't, there just aren't people of color or women or non-binary people or people with uh, disabilities who are qualified <laughs> for these jobs. And I feel like I'm over that. Mm -hmm. I'm over that excuse because it doesn't matter. Like, first of all, wrong. Second of all, you're just going to have to go looking a little bit further to find them. And then if you can't find them, just with like, sometimes it just takes another half hour of Google searching or LinkedIn searching or connecting with someone you don't know already because you have to go outside your network. If you keep on looking you're working so hard to find that person who is not exactly like you in every dimension and you can't find them then you're gonna have to go get someone and train them up mm -hmm. people are gonna need to take risks and make sacrifices in order to build up the diverse teams that it takes to build a healthy business yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, as you spoke about that, I was remembering how a few years ago I ran a script on my Twitter followings and then went through and basically had two columns in a spreadsheet. One of them was like apparent gender because like, you know, gender identity is self-determined. So it was just like, I just wanted a rough read on like what my following balance was um, without assuming I knew what was true for them in terms of their gender identity. And then I had another, uh, I had another column that was like adds value to my life or not. <laughs> and anybody who was not like positively, uh, impacting my life and was uh, overrepresented, aka white men, I just like instantly unfollowed. And then I applied a really casual algorithm over the next many years that whenever I heard of the existence of a remarkable woman or person of color, I would instantly follow. And so at this point, you know, it's ebbed and flowed and I'm not draconian about it. Not everybody needs to stay in my life, even if they're underrepresented. But um, but what's happened is that I've uh, let that evolve to the point that 
my feed is filled with voices that aren't like mine that I'm used to because they've been there for years. And that's my universe. You know, I built that universe around me and I built it so that it's fascinating. I mean, it's really, it's really meaningful to me that when something happens out in the world, I'll get, you know, 80% super, super feminist voices speaking out against it. And then I'll get 10% who see the next level of injustice and who point that out. And always seeing through to the next level of injustice has made a big difference to me. Um, and I don't see, th- I mean, it's really me benefiting from other people's acute observation and the gift of sharing that and then not being afraid, you know, like I'm not following a bunch of people who are careful and subtle. I'm following people with opinions because I need to know what's out there. And that is true today and tomorrow in a way that is so scary but it's what we're living through now. It, and I think that points to the responsibility that all of us have to uh, that it takes effort to um, find perspectives that are different from your own and to make space for them in your life and to acclimate yourself to them, mm-hmm. you know? And um, to to acknowledge that there are a lot of injustices, a lot of patterns that you, no matter who you are, there, there are problems that you can't see. And just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're there. It means you, you should go looking for them mm-hmm. um, and find out what, what kinds of things you're, you're missing because, um, uh, the the perspectives you're you're exposed to just by default um, probably aren't ex- exposing you to them. Stand up with your own two feet and walk toward what you don't know yet. Diana, should we read another poem? We have to. Yeah. Okay. This poem is about rage. <laughs> it felt like, uh, I mean, this is, yeah, this is where we're at right now. This is called To the Censorious Ones by Anne Waldman. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I'm coming up out of the tomb, men of war, just when you thought you had me down. In place, hidden. I'm coming up now. Can you feel the ground rumble under your feet? It's breaking apart. It's turning over. It's pushing up. It's thrusting into your point of view. Your private property, O men of war, censorious ones. Get ready, big boys. Get ready. I'm coming up now. I'm coming up with all that was hidden. Get ready, big boys, get ready. I'm coming up with all you wanted buried. All the hermetic texts with stories in them of hot and dangerous women. Women with lascivious tongues, sharp eyes and claws. I've been working out, 
my muscles are strong. I'm pushing up the earth with all you try to censor, all the iconoclasm and bravado you scorn, all the taunts against your banner and salute. I'm coming up from hell with all you ever suppressed. All the dark fantasies, all the dregs are coming back. I'm leading them back up now. They're going to bark and scoff and rage and bite. I'm opening the box. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) I think I laugh because it feels so uncomfortable to um, read a poem that I think really expresses how I I feel right now. Uh, Anger feels awkward Mm -hmm. to put on. Yeah. Will it change us? I think so. I and I think we should welcome it. We should. <laughs>